on episode 198 of the Tennis Files podcast, top tennis strategist Craig O'Shaughnessy will reveal his secret formula for transforming how you play the game, the first four shots. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey there, this is Mirban Iranshad. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast, and it's great to have you listening this week, and I hope you're doing well and staying safe, and I've actually been playing a lot more tennis lately. I played in a government league match last week, which was a lot of fun. And then I've been practicing my serve and taking video of uh, my technique, which has been really fun and illuminating as always. Uh, and yeah, just really been really enjoying the increased time on the court. Um, but for today's episode, and I hope you're playing uh, a lot too, by the way, <laughs> but on today's podcast, I've got top tennis strategist Craig O'Shaughnessy and he is very famous uh, in terms of his great coaching acumen on the strategy side. He, in particular, he coached Dustin Brown when Dustin was able to defeat uh, Rafael Nadal at Wimbledon. So he was the strategist for him and concocted a great formula. And I've seen Craig on on uh, Berrettini's coaching cast of um, experts there um, on the sidelines. I think, in fact, I saw him uh, like today at, in Rome, in the Rome um, a match for Berrettini that he won. So yeah, he is, um, he's great, and he's been on a lot of uh, shows as far as uh, Tennis Channel and others and uh, commentating and whatnot. So it's really great to have him on today's podcast. I actually spoke with him several weeks back and decided that I wanted to release this audio uh, clip of us. Not not a clip, really, but, you know, like an hour worth of um, amazing information that he has for us on the first four shots, which he actually updated. So he's pretty much um, presenting on this uh, particular episode. And uh, he did actually use a, a slideshow. So you might hear him refer to the slideshow, but uh, it's it's all good, and you'll be able to to really get insights on uh, first off why are the first four shots really important, and then uh, how to maximize the first four shots in terms of how to you know dominate and win win them basically against your opponents, uh, and also just some really amazing numbers on tennis, uh, the first four shots, and all the other shots and. You know how a majority is is really in just the first four, while we're actually practicing uh, the wrong way for just you know a hundred ball rallies. So I will stop blabbering on and let Craig run the show. So uh, I hope you enjoy. And without further ado, here is Craig O'Shaughnessy. Start with the building block. So we're gonna build a little bit towards the first four shots, but first of all, we need to lay the foundation. So when we're analyzing your matches or the players on tour, um, they're broken down into sets, games, and points. 
Points are the building blocks of our sport, so that's where the focus is going to be. Uh, we go to the very top of the games, like, okay, where's the ceiling? What's, you know, what's, what's the highest level that's possible? Well, if we do an analysis of the number one player in the world, 2010 to 2020 here, we see that they win right around 90% of their matches. It's, it's crazy. It's, uh, you know, some of these years in there, if we start in 2011, Novak wins 92%, going 70 and 6 in 2015, he went 82-6. Um, another great year. Andy Murray even hit the 90% barrier right there, 78-9. So, you know, we would love to have these numbers playing our, our league tennis, um, whether it's singles or doubles. Uh, but this is it. I mean, the other important thing to see is that the number one player in the world also, if you look down there at the bottom, has won 686 matches, but they have still lost 87 matches. So you don't need perfection in our sport. It's definitely a game of percentages. So if the number one player is winning right around 90% of their matches, let's go to the building blocks now of the points that they win in the season that they become number one. And you've probably heard me talk about this over the years. So let's, let's go quickly here. The number one player in the world takes a 50-50 battle and nudges it to a 55-45 advantage, and they are the best player on the planet. They are making millions of dollars on court, also millions of dollars off court, um, in creating this very small margin. It's also important to note that the number one player in the world loses 45% of all points that they play in the season where they become the year-end number one. So quite often... For all of us, we win a point, we're happy. We lose a point, nah, we're sad, we're upset, we're disappointed, we're negative, we're mad, uh, we're losing our mind out there, we're hitting balls over the fence. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not about uh, the roller coaster of, of, of winning, I'm happy, and losing, I'm sad, and going up and down like this all throughout the match. You know, you almost want to, go out to the court and say, you know what, I'm going to give my opponent a quota. I'm okay to lose 45% of all points. You know, in a match, if it's a 55-45 uh, balance, it's going to be about a 6-3-6-3 match. So please be aware and have an understanding that it's okay to lose points. It's actually okay to lose a lot of points in our sport and still be wildly successful. Uh, this is a fascinating stat right here where we have um, – the, the number one player 2015 to 2019, and, you know, there's 55.7, 55.5, 55.5 again, 55.4 and 55.2%. And so it just goes to show you how incredibly similar it is year after year. It's not, you know, these, these numbers, you know, Rafa dominating on clay or Novak dominating on grass or hard, you know, that takes – uh, the win percentage is, you know, a lot higher or lower. Um, you know, it's going to be the same year after year after year. Let's uh, progress to the next one. This was a, a very interesting stat when I was looking up data uh, for an ATP Infosys analysis piece. And I put in the, the parameters of uh, or the filters of 2015 to 2019. We have a five-year data set. 
and we only have six players that have won north of 52% over that period of time. So imagine you playing for five seasons and you say, no, Craig, I only won 52% of my points in that five seasons. I wasn't really dominant. You are amazingly dominant. You are one of the best players in your league, if not the best player in your league. So one of the things as we set the stage for the information and the data of the first four shots is to understand that tennis is a game of insanely small margins. I'm sure you can think back to matches where, you know, things are pretty tight and there's one point where there was a break point or an opportunity to get to break point, that one point kind of changed everything in the match. You know, uh, whether the match finishes a 7-6 or maybe even a 6-1, that one point early on that that sets you on your course and and things start happening um, in your favour, you know, that's what tennis is all about. There's, you know, you can have a six-one set followed by a seven-six set, and it's it's a point here and a point there. So insanely small margins. Second part of our presentation here is when the point ends, it's going to be a winner, it's going to be an error. You know, a winner by definition is it just doesn't touch the racket. Any ball that touches the racket, error. That's an error. So let's get to our numbers. We play a sport, number one, we've already learned of incredibly small margins. We now, when we play a sport where errors absolutely dominate. And I have been to so many conferences, you know, also with collegiate teams, and I ask the players, like, if I'm going to watch your match, how would I see you trying to collect points? Is it more in the unforced error category, which is simply waiting and waiting and waiting and hoping your opponent misses? Is it hitting winners? Is that what I'm going to see you trying to do? Or is it forcing errors, which is, getting it in but making the opponent uncomfortable. And so many times people are mistakenly in, oh, you're absolutely going to see me hitting winners. That's what I like to do. Or the opposite of that is, oh, I, I'm going to put every ball on the court and I'm going to run and I'm going to get the ball up high and I'm not going to miss. Both of those are really tough ways to, to beat players, not only consistently at your level, but to move up levels and beat players that are, you know, we might say better than you at the moment. Um, this data came from the 2015 Australian Open. It's almost the same every single year at, at all throughout the slams. You know, we play a sport that is absolutely dominated by errors. And when we break them down with forced, unforced and winners, we see that forcing errors, forcing errors is number one. That's what we want to do. We want to hit a shot that makes the opponent uncomfortable and they miss because we can repeat that. Um, when you combine forcing errors and winners, that's aggressive play. Generally, you know, forcing an error is being aggressive. Generally, hitting a winner is being aggressive. So we see here that aggressive play definitely outweighs and outnumbers consistent play. So you say, okay, Craig, I, you know, I'm all in with that. I see forcing errors is good. Um, how do I do it? You know, and when I ask this question, I say, well, I've got a list of eight ways to force an error. And I go, you tell me, you, instead of me giving you the answer, you, you have a think about it. So almost always the first two um, ways to force an error that players will guess is like, well, direction. If I can hit the ball away from my opponent, that will help force an error. Correct. Uh, power. Uh, yeah, that's true. Hitting the ball really hard or actually really, really soft. Um, 
could help force an error. And then there's a bit of a pause. And then we start thinking and going through it more and more. And here is the end result of that list. So it's not in any special order, but we start with the court and we start anywhere in the court. So consistency will force an error. Make somebody hit four consecutive backhands. Uh, you know, the first one's probably coming in. The second one, probably coming in. The third, I don't know about that. The fourth, you know, there's, there's not a lot of players on the planet that will make four consecutive backhands. And if the backhand is the strength, then go to the opposite side, go to the forehand. Um, it's, you know, it, it's not easy. So consistency, getting them deeper into the rally count will force an error. Direction, left and right, and, and also middle, depth, front and back, and height. Get the ball up high around the head or above the head or from the knees to the ankles, getting it lower. Uh, we've cut the court up into a three-dimensional cube, so we can't do any more to it. So let's go to the ball which is spin, heavy top spin, heavy back spin, also no spin. Medvedev uh, is a nightmare to play because he plays without any spin at all, and that ball is just flat coming at you again and again and again. Um, we have power, and then we go to your core position where you stand. You know, moving in on a second serve creates pressure. Going to the net create pressure, creates pressure. And last note on our list is time, which is the time to get prepared for a shot. It's the, and what we're talking about here is taking away the time for somebody to get their hands and feet organized and set so that they can hit the ball um, consistently into the court. So of the eight ways to force an error, what you're trying to do initially is to get any one of those in your favor to start. You hit a ball with good direction. You hit a ball with good spin. Doesn't matter. Get one in your favor. Then... Uh, well, actually, when you get one in your favor, the ball, will, when the ball comes back, you'll be leaning on that ball. You'll be enjoying uh, pretty much doing whatever you want. You'll be in control of the rally. Now, let's combine two of these together. Maybe you had a ball with good spin and good depth. Maybe you've got good consistency and good height. Maybe time and core position go together. Um, the opponent's ball will be coming back right around the service line. It will be short, and you will be stepping up into the court and having um, more control of the point. And lastly is three. If you can get any one, any one of these combined with another, combined with another three at the same time, the ball will not come back in the court. It is, it is too, it, it, there's too many things going against you. So good power, good spin, good depth, ball's not coming back. So as we look to force errors, and especially as we look to force errors in the first four shots, this is your list of how you go about it. Our old mantra is, don't miss. Oh, don't miss. Put the ball on the court. Once we found out the analytics of matches, it's much better to think about how do I make my opponent miss. An old way of practicing is let's make 20 balls and do it four times. The new data says let's just make four balls, the serve, the return, and the two shots that follow, the serve plus one and the return plus one, and let's do that 20 times. Serve, return, serve plus one, return plus one, catch it. Do it again. Do it again. Maximize the start of the point. Is consistency overrated? Which is consistency, uh, you know, you can have, I guess, some different terminology for consistency, but essentially here is just, I'm just going to put the ball in the court again and again and again and again and again. I don't, I don't really care where it goes, but, you know, I, I'm going to have margin and I'm going to not miss. Um, so imagine being at the Australian Open. I'm sitting at my desk looking uh, above my computer at the screen and seeing this stat sheet. 
This is an official stats sheet from the Australian Open. And as we start at the top, you know, we see that Songa beat Baghdadis uh, in four sets. And we see the regular stuff, aces, first serve points, one second. These things haven't really changed since statistics were first officially recorded in our sport in 1991. So now fast forward to 2015 and we have all the serving data, then our yellow line, our returning data, and then winners and errors. And imagine sitting there for the very first time and I look down, I see this strange, unusual statistics here. And it says rallies of zero to four shots, one lost. And we've got numbers. So let's look at Songa's numbers. There's a 79 and a 74. So the 79 is Songa's number, 74 is Baghdadis. Um, below is five through eight, 26 for Songa. He won that and 20 for Baghdadis. But in the long rallies, um, Songa only won five and Baghdadis won 10. So the first time I see this, I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And then I'm like, how in the world do you have a rally of zero? That's, that's unusual. And, and then who, who created this and who came up with it? So I dug around and I went to IBM, who were the official data provider. And the way that it, um, the, the way you need to think about this is we're always going to have the terminology of shots. How many shots in the rally? Whereas, and, and even here, you've got rally of zero to four shots. It's misleading. It's, it's not a shot, you know, suggests the ball hit the racket. Um, and that's not what this is about at all. It's the ball hitting the court. So I serve to you, you return to me, I hit a winner. Three, Ralph, three balls landed in the court. The next point, I serve to you, you return to me, I make an error. Two, that's a rally length of two because only two balls landed in the court. So on the tournament totals page, they add up all the other things on this page for all of the matches except the rally length. So I sit there and I do it for all the matches that they recorded it for them. And, um, and figured out uh, the, the tournament total for the 2015 Australian Open, which we're getting to here in a couple of slides. I gave them some nicknames to better understand uh, what they're about. So zero through four, we call first strike. Five through eight of patterns of playing nine plus shots of the extended rallies. 2015 Australian Open total points. This is what my data sheet said at the end of combining all of those matches. 70% of points we're in zero through four, 20% in five through eight, and 10% in nine plus. And as I'm sitting there looking at this, I'm, I'm looking at like, what in the world does this mean? You know, the first time you look at it, you, you don't have an interpretation for it yet. I, I don't know what this is. This is a brand new species in our sport. Um, and as I started contemplating the, this data, the first thing that hit me was, wow, 70%, which is essentially right on seven points out of 10, and these are the most consistent players in the world, but seven points out of 10, the best players in the world are only hitting the ball in the court a maximum of two times each. So a four-shot rally is two shots for one player and two shots for the opponent. I'm like, I've seen a lot of tennis, but I didn't realize that seven points out of 10, these people are only putting the ball in the court twice. On, on, on average as a maximum. So it's, you know, it's either a double fold as a zero, a one is a ace or return error. Two is the ball comes back and it's either return winner or a serve plus one um, error. And then you've got the return plus one error. Um, and then the next thing I looked at is nine plus. I'm like, 10% of points reach nine or more. 
And I think back immediately to our practice court, and that's what we've always obsessed about. We are always about consistency and shot tolerance and repetition and patience and perseverance. 90% of our practice court is in nine plus. 10% of our match court is in nine plus. So the first thing I think about is, well, the practice court's broken. We are not, we are not focused on the right things. Now, I'm working on my game at the moment. I, I don't know why I've got back into tennis, but I, I'm really enjoying it. I, I played a ton as a junior. I played collegiate tennis and then coaching a lot. You know, you're just on court six, seven, eight, ten hours a day, and the last thing you want to do is hit more balls. But now I'm, I've been off court so much, I'm really enjoying it. I bought a ball machine. Um, I coach a couple of people here in Austin, but I love getting out on it. Like I'm hitting my backhand. So, you know, for a coach, the one thing that's so crazy is that we feed a billion balls, but no one ever feeds us a ball. And now with this ball machine, I've got somebody to feed me balls. And I, I'm just, I'm just grooving. And I, my, my backhand's feeling good. My forehand's feeling really good. The volleys are good. And I'm just able to hit a lot of balls. Now, I'm only doing that to sharpen the sword of the stroke. I'm not doing, I'm not hitting eight or 10 or 40 or 140 backhands cross court because I'm going to do that in a match and it's going to help me win more, more matches. I'm just going there going, I want to feel this shot and make it as clean and as competent as I possibly can. That's, that's the difference there. Um, playing styles. So what is your label? We always give labels to playing styles like Roger Federer, maybe, you know, a first strike player, Pete Sampras, you know, maybe, you know, even a bit more than that. First strike slash serve and volley, Pat Rafter serve and volley, uh, counter puncher, maybe aggressive baseliner as Novak, a counter puncher, maybe someone like a Leighton Hewitt, David Ferreira. You know, we like to give these labels. So I want you to think about what kind of playing style you are. Um, I would say for me, I, I would have to put the word net in there somewhere. I grew up playing on grass courts in Australia. I love going to the net. I stay close to the baseline. Anything short, I'm coming in. So um, i, I got to think of exactly what it is, but the word net is going to be in my label somewhere. These are the 2017 Australian Open data points. So remember 2015 was 70-2010. We're just slightly off. Uh, a little bit here, slightly under. Courts are a little bit slower. Maybe um, maybe the weather was a little bit cool in 2017. Um, and we look at Roger Federer. Federer won in 2017, and he won in 2018. So these are his numbers. Remember, 70, 2010, and 2015. So he's above that. So if we are to describe Roger as a first-strike player, I would, I would think that all of us be included looking at this at this presentation and say yeah that makes sense we see roger elevated in the zero through four numbers so that's a fair comment to call roger a first strike player now here's novak uh, i coached novak at the 2018 us open here are his data points 55 percent instead of 70 or 72 as roger was um, at the 2017 australian open so he's far less in zero through four would you necessarily call Novak a first-strike player? Well, when I ask this at the conferences that I do and the, the groups I um, do these presentations with, most people say no. That, that's 55% is not the data point of a first-strike player. So there's your answer. Probably no is what I get back most of the time. Now, 
This is a question. We don't know who this is, but these are some real numbers from a tournament. Um, and we see the player in 0 through 4 won 433 points, lost 326, plus 107. Wildly successful. 5 through 8, won 203, lost 150, only a 53-point advantage. And then 9 plus, 131, lost 133, minus 2, not nearly as good. Would you call this player you know, good in extended rallies? Well, obviously not. They're minus. It's the only place they're minus. Would you call this player a first strike player? The answer is yes. They did great. They did twice as good or more, you know, slightly more than twice as good in zero through four as they did in five through eight. This player is Novak Djokovic at the 2018 US Open. It's the same data set. So even though Novak came down and only played 55% in zero through four, he was outrageously successful in creating his advantage in zero through four. And that's the key. That's the key. How many do you win? How many do you lose? Novak is a first strike player. Roger is a first strike player. You are a first strike player. Even if you're labeled for yourself, maybe, you know, I'm a pusher. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a baseliner. I'm a counterpuncher. Um, you know, I, I terrorize opponents by, you know, crazy slice and, and ugly shots. And, uh, you know, but, but I know how to win. You are also a first strike player because everybody on the planet is. This is Novak's data set from Wimbledon in 2019. And, you know, from, we're going to be all very, very similar to this. So does it make sense? And this is what we've been doing for years, especially before 1991 when we had official match stats. But, again, this kind of data is very recent. It's only 2015 that it came on my radar. Um, why in the world would you go to the practice court and obsess about that red area. Why? It makes no sense. You are Your job is not to be ranked number one in the world as a practice player. You want to be ranked number one in the world or in your age group or at your club or, or win this tournament um, in matches, in matches. Matches are what matter. We've got to help flip and reverse this mentality where the old school mentality is let's go to the practice court, practice, 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 then let's go to the match court. And hopefully what I practice on helps me win the match. Let's flip it and let's say, okay, this is, this is a match right here. This is seven matches for Novak. So that green area, he, he played the most. So why don't we obsess about that green area? Then we'll do a little bit in the yellow area. And then when we've got time, we'll certainly do the red area because it does exist in a match but the green area is going to dominate. The green area is zero through four. Which rally length is the most important to win? So this is an analysis when we're looking at two separate data points. The first is, it, it, because we're doing a percentage here, let's do it out of 100. So we have 100 players in the room. We say, did you win your match? 100 players raise their hand. So yes, we all won our match. We're, we're all amazing today. So we're like, okay, we didn't tell you this, but we sat on the side of the court and recorded how many points you won and lost in zero through four, five, three, nine plus, just like that, that picture um, earlier, um, I think it was Sangram Baghdadis. So uh, we know that data. We have five grand slams of data here. We have two US Opens. We have, a, we have an Australian, Roland Garros, Wimbledon, two US Opens to make five data sets, uh, five grand slams. So it's a combination of two things. Yes, you won your match. Did you also correspondingly 
win one of these rally links, two of these rally links, or three of these rally links? Did you win them um, at the same rate? Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Let's get to it. Match winners in five Grand Slams. No one lost a match. They correspondingly won the zero through four rally length 91% of the time. So it's almost a lock. Won the match, 91%, I win zero through four. And when you look at that other 9%, there's something unusual or weird. You know, Karlovic down the other end. Karlovic playing Schwartzman at Wimbledon and Schwartzman wins. You know, Schwartzman's probably getting a few more balls back in play, extending it a little bit. But in general, right throughout our right throughout our sport, zero through four, you win zero through four, you're almost assured of winning the match. Five through eight, not nearly as close. Remember, we're starting at 50-50, not zero. So we start at 50-50. Um, match winners only conquer the opponent in five through eight, two-thirds of the time. And in nine plus, which you obsess about too much in longer rallies, you're only moving the needle from 50 to 55%. You know, we have um, data sets on first serve points one, second serve points one, net points one, baseline points one. What is this a data set of? Winning. That's what it's a data set of. This is all about winning. You had to have won the match, but did you also win these one of these three small battles, battlegrounds? Um, you know, if you come to me and say, Craig, what matters most to winning? This is the slide I'm showing you. Winning in zero through four is going to be number one. This is the two US Opens for men. And we see in the long rallies, it was 50-50. There was no advantage whatsoever in the longer rallies. And this is the ladies. Look at nine plus. Every one of these ladies won their match. They had a losing record in nine plus in the 2015 uh, US Open. Each rally length has a different landscape. So if we go to the practice court now, we say, okay, uh, let's go and hit balls cross court. You know, you, 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 take, you take your 14-year-old kid out there and all of a sudden the 14-year-old kid's hitting balls and this is what it's like, you know, in their mind. This is, this is how the endorphins are firing. You know, we're in Tuscany. It's 78 degrees. It's gorgeous. You know, I'm looking out there, my little boy's hitting balls, cross-court, cross-court, cross-court. You know, he's starting to get a sweat. The coaches are pouring. He's doing well. The kid's, the kid's just hitting tons of these easy meatballs that are just coming back to him exactly where he wants. You know, mama's happy on the side of the court. Look at her down there by that villa. She's got a glass of Chianti. She's, she's in heaven. The coach is loving it. The kid, the kid couldn't be happier. You know, nine plus in the practice court is, is, is heaven. Ball after ball after ball after oh, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Five through eight, patterns of play. These are the smart players. Nadal, out of zero through four, five through eight and nine plus, Nadal on the tour has the highest number in five through eight. And it's all about I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, then I've got you there. So it's not too long, but it's, it's, it's these little moves, always these little moves. Uh, it's the chess of our game. And in zero through four, you know, the typical one-hour lesson all over the world is 50 minutes of Tuscany, 50 minutes of, 
have a, have a nice glaze of sweat and, and a, I've hit 722 balls today in my lesson. I feel fantastic. Um, but then it's like, okay, well, at the end, let's hit a couple of serves. Yeah, just roll your arm over. Let's hit, just warm it up. Hit a few serves. Oh, our time's up. Okay, we'll see you next week. Maybe a couple of returns, you know, a little serve and volley, not serve and volley, a little approach and volley, maybe a couple of overheads. Um, zero through four is tough. We're going to show you the numbers of this. This is how the match starts. This is like a glacier in Switzerland, and we're going up it. And, you know, I, I, I get no rhythm with my serve, and I've got to practice my return, but the opponent's not, you know, they've missed their last four shots, so it's tough to get my rhythm. You know, zero through four, this is what it's like. It's the opposite of Tuscany. And this is why you go to your coach and say, coach, why am I so good in practice, but I can't win a match? Why am I so good in Tuscany, but I can't get to Tuscany? Because every point in tennis starts right there. Every point. Are you practicing your serve enough? Are you practicing your return enough? On the other side of that mountain, you're going to look down into the valleys of Tuscany. It's going to be amazing. But you can't get there because you miss too much. You miss too much early on. The mode, the most common rally length in tennis. What is it? So we have, you know, all the way up to like 40 shot rallies sometimes, uh, 30 shot rallies, but you know, we have eight, a lot of eight shot rallies and 12 shot rallies. And remember a zero shot rally is a double fault. Um, it's, it's the ball landing in the court. So 2015 Australian Open, uh, I look at all the points that are played and the number one rally length is a rally length of one. One ball in the court happens more than anything else out there. And this is the halo effect of the serve. So a one shot rally happens first, three jumps two and five jumps four, and then everything becomes even. And three jumps two because the serve brings back a weak ball for shot number three. Um, and then uh, the, after shot number three, you get a weaker ball back for shot number five. So when you're serving, you essentially go serve, easy ball, easy ball, even. That's essentially what it's all about. So when we look at the top here, we see a one-shot rally is around 30% of all points in our sport. Then it goes three, then two, then five, then four. Now, this is what's crazy is that when I first introduced this data at the 2016 Australian Open Coaches Conference, um, I asked, you know, th these coaches had never, ever heard of this data before. Most of the answers were four-shot rallies, four to eight. There's a lot of eight, you know, people saying eight. So then I asked Novak, Novak, what do you play the most? <clears throat> and he gets all excited. So, oh, I've never heard this question before. And, well, you know, what does Novak play the most? You know, I like to extend the rally a little bit. I like to move the ball around the court. He goes, I probably play more four-shot rallies than anything else. I asked Andy Murray. He settles on four. I asked Madison Keys. She settles on four. I asked Nick Bolotero. The world thinks a four-shot rally happens the most. The best players, number one players in, in our sport, think a four-shot rally happens more than a one-shot rally. This is how crazy it is. Look at the percentage of a four-shot rally, about seven and a half. It's a quarter. And I said this to Andy. I said, Andy, you know, you've got a pretty good resume in tennis. You know, you've... You've, um, you've been number one in the world, and he's kind of smiling. I'm like, you've won a couple of Wimbledons, but, you know, who hasn't? That's, that's all good. Um, I go, Andy, seriously here, how in the world can you be so far off in the number of, of, of thinking that a four-shot rally, which happens 7.5% of the time, happens more than a one-shot rally, which happens 295 How can you think 
that seven and a half happens more than 29. And he had to think about it for a while. And he's like, he's like, you know, when you look at the highlight reels, when you look at ESPN, when you look at Twitter, when, when the, the shots that are more memorable, they're the longer rallies. They're the longer rallies. We remember them the most. You know, a 28-shot rally happens in Monte Carlo. 20 seconds later, go to Twitter and the ATP World Tour feed. There it is. It's a spectacular rally, but it's not going to happen a lot. And we put so much emphasis in it. This is what I call, that's page one. This is what uh, page two. You know, if you're a beginner, start here on page two. Get the ball in the court. Consistency, it's great. But if you're a tournament player, focus your attention on page one. Page one was 89% of our sport. 2019 Tennis Congress. Uh, this is out in Tucson, Arizona. It's an adult camp. It's amazing. Um, if you need more information on it, Google it. It's, it, it's awesome. So I was out there um, coaching there and with Warren Pretorius and we videoed 14 sets. So, um, you know, we had all these people play there, 3-5, you know, all, all mixed in that watch, 622 points. And we asked them, you know, are you guys consistent? Uh, you know, are, you gonna, are we going to see long rallies? Oh, yeah, you, we're, we're very consistent players. We're going we're gonna to see a lot of long rallies. I mean, these are... 30, 40, 50, 60-year-old people that, you know, played a lot of tennis and they think that they put a ton of balls in the court and, you know, all this pro data about short rallies, that's for the pros, Craig. We put the ball in the court. We are club players. That's what we do. We've had all the, all the practice over the years. We've had so many lessons. So here's the data. What happened the most, 26% almost identical to the pros, then a two-shot rally, 17%, then a three-shot rally, 12 then double faults. The fourth most common thing that these supposedly self-rated consistent players did was a double fault. They are obsessing about 10-shot rallies, 11-shot rallies, uh, which happened seven times. A one-shot rally happened 162 times. A seven-shot rally, 23. So, you know, there's still a little bit of volume there. Um, but we've got this, this wrong idea or this, this fantasy world that we're in that, you know, the 13-shot rally, the one 13-shot rally, we, we remember. But the 162 return errors and a one-shot rally, yeah, there's a sprinkling of aces, but it's the return error. This data set is screaming at you, work on your return to serve. Put the return back in play. Against a first serve, Higher, slower, deeper down the middle. When it's the second serve, more aggression. You're looking to force an error. Um, a two-shot rally. Serve went in, return went in, you miss. Serve went in, return went in, you miss. It happens all the time. You should be doing that at your, at your club with your coach. You serve to your coach. The coach returns it or feeds it out of the basket, gives you a tough ball, put that ball back in the court. You know, I had a lesson here a couple of weeks ago with a, with a 5-0 guy and – you know, one of the first things we talked about is that um, we started playing points to figure out what he's doing, and he's playing offense on defense. And I told him this. I said this, the second most common thing in the first four shots is a serve plus one error. So here to serve, I had a real good return, and he blocks it back down the middle and deep. And I catch the ball. I'm like, that's one of the best shots you'll ever hit. He's like, Craig, before this lesson, I would have ripped that ball and made an error. I would have played offense and made an error. And now, after our discussion, I'm playing defense and I'm staying in the point. The average rally length, 
for the adult players that think they're the most consistent in the world is 3.3 shots. The serve went in, the return went in, the serve plus one, plus one went in, and that's, that's about the end of it. You know, on the practice court in Tuscany, we want rhythm, ball after ball after ball after ball after ball. Doesn't happen in a match. This, this is how it happens in a match. This is like an earthquake. See that big bang that happens at the start, that one-shot rally, 29%. Boom. And then it quickly dissipates. Um, you know, one of the things that you do, and I'm going to annotate right here, is one of the things that you do on the practice court is you put so much emphasis in these longer rallies of nine plus. So I'm just going to kind of draw there. You know, th this is where your focus is. And... Who cares? Because this is the reality of a match. 3%, 2%, 2%. This is what you're ignoring, the zero through four. I want you to make the green area your priority on the practice court because it is going to be your priority once the match starts. Get less of the red area in the practice court and get more of the green area happening, uh, happening for you in practice. Um, this is Novak at the 2018 US Open. He played one-shot rallies, then three-shot rallies, then five-shot rallies, then two-shot rallies, then four-shot rallies. You know, surely in, in, the, in the, the leading five rally wings, people can say, well, he probably played eight-shot rallies. No, not even close. A lot of short stuff out there. Under 12. Now, this is national level under 12. These are really good. This is a really good level. So I would say, you know, in, in the older rating, probably – the, the real good kids, you know, probably the average about four o. Sorry, about four five. Um, I'd say there's some five o kids in here for sure. Um, but four o four five five, you know, a couple of five o's. So you, you you can certainly relate to this data set here. Um, if we look at zero through four, the under twelves are playing for the boys fifty five percent, and for the women fifty seven percent. So we can see. Zero through four is always the most dominant. We never say, okay, in under 12 girls, um, you know, zero through four is at 30% and, and five through eight becomes number one or nine plus becomes number one. It doesn't happen. You're always playing zero through four first. Under 12 boys, well, this is an analysis only in the first four shots. The thing that happens the most, we combine one thing from the left column, one thing from the right. The thing that happens the most is a return error, just like the pros. Then a serve plus one error then a return plus one error, then a double fault. This is what the first four shots teaches us. We know that the first four shots happens the most out of all of the rally lengths. And the thing that happens the most is you're making a return error, a serve plus one error, a return plus one error, then a double fault. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen, you're looking at Switzerland. You're looking at that ice face right there because it's tough. Look how tough it is. The things that are happening the most are early errors in your in your game. So one of the you know the simple things to understand about this presentation is as a takeaway is the first two times I touch the ball, put it in the court. In many ways, your job is to survive the first four shots and get it into a five through eight and get some patterns of play going. Now, in the first four shots, if you're hitting a first serve, you're trying to immediately extract an error. If you're hitting a second serve return, you're trying to immediately extract an error, which is one and two right there, a return error and a serve plus one error. If you're hitting a second serve, make your serve plus one. And if you're hitting a first serve return, put that ball in the court. So there's some different battles going on there. 
Um, remember, we talked about in general, tennis is about 70% errors in general when we look at all of it. But if we only isolate zero through four, it's 80%. Once again, exhibit F on the picture of Switzerland and our ice face. Look how difficult it is there. The errors accumulate more. We're finished with the presentation. I'm going to come out of this sharing and uh, come back and see you guys right here. And, um, you know, I think that the big takeaways here are whether you like it or not, you are going to play more zero through four than anything else. And whether you like it or not, your performance in zero through four is going to dictate whether you win or lose the match much more than anything else that happens in that match. So, uh, pleasure to share this information with you. We've got junior data, we've got adult data, we've got pro data. They're all washing together and, and sending the message that there is nothing more important um, that, than you will do on the court is that is those first two touches. It's, it's this is important, this is important, and those first two touches are more important than all the other touches that follow in a point. So cheers and uh, thank you guys very much. Thanks a lot, Craig. Um, do you have time for maybe just a couple questions? Sure, go ahead. Appreciate it. Yeah, and I uh, have this big notebook that I uh, I wrote some notes on while you were presenting. I really appreciate it. And it really gets me thinking back to, as you said, you know, my training. A lot of times we had these games where, like, you had to hit 20 balls past the service line. And, you know, you'd get points deducted if you didn't. And you, you ended up hitting, like, 80 balls. And just uh, not the right way to train and uh, just very illuminating. So you mentioned these eight ways well, to force I, it. Let me just, let me just sure. tweak that a little bit. You, 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 can, you can make that a minor segment of your training. Mm -hmm. That can be, if we get a pie, if you want to say that's 5% of our pie, fine. Not 95% of our pie though. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like it was a, a huge percentage. Um, mm -hmm. So, so Craig, so you mentioned the eight ways to force an error, consistency, direction, depth, height, spin, power, core positioning, and time. I was wondering for the amateur players, the club level players who are the majority of the audience today, um, which of those would you suggest that they focus on to help them, uh, you know, to force errors more often? Yeah. So, um, Think of the, the list of eight. They're all, they're all wonderful. They've all made the highlight reel. Think of them as precious gems. So we have a ruby, we have a sapphire, we have an um, emerald, we have topaz, we have an Australian opal, this beautiful Australian opal. But we have a diamond. There's one diamond on that list. They're all good. But the diamond is depth. You get the ball deep. And deep is, is essentially, it's the 10 and underline. You measure halfway between the service line and the baseline. And that 10 and underline, anything past that signifies a deep ball. And when the ball is hit deep, the opponent has got a decision to make. Do I back up so I can hit a regular shot, a regular backswing, or do I stay and block? I must, there must be a compromise somewhere on a deep ball. There must be a compromise. And the compromise either is in the court position or the size of the swing. And most of the time, the opponent is not willing to compromise or doesn't know that they need to compromise. And they hit the same size swing and get bad contact and miss. 
So hitting the ball deep is a really big deal. Depth is the diamond. Got it. Uh, amazing. Thanks so much for that, Craig. And then if you were to, to master that, what would be the second best, in your opinion, um, you know, characteristic of the eight ways to then add on top? Yeah. What is kind of hidden? So when you go down the list, um, the first four shots is all about core position. It's, you know, you're up in the court more when you're serving and when you're returning. Um, you're trying to take time away, uh, which is a big deal. Um, there's a lot more power at the start of the point, you know, especially with the first serve and a second serve return. Um, and we've got a lot more spin, whether it's the spin on the serve or on the return. So when you look at that list of eight, the ones at the start, even though they're not set in any order, but the ones in the start lend themselves to inject into the point later. And the ones at the bottom inject themselves earlier. What I would like to see you do is, is, is have a better focus on core position, staying up around the baseline, dictating more, not going back so far. You know, players that play back, it's so difficult to hit a winner. It's so difficult to get to the net when there's a short ball. A lot of times when there's a short ball, you're actually on defense running up trying to scoop the ball up. So I would, I would definitely say, okay, I need to improve my game. This, this presentation is going to help me do that. Um, and not getting back so far, have, have a real emphasis on trying to stay up around the baseline, hit a good shot, maybe creep onto or inside the baseline in anticipation of a short ball and get all over the, all over the net. The net is a wonderful place to be. Um, it's a fun place to be. And, um, you know, taking time away from opponents is, is essentially done with core position. Yes, it's also done with power, but core position is a really good one. Thanks for that, Craig. And so, I mean, I, in, in terms of mentality and strategy, I mean, should we, because obviously we don't want to be going for the lines and things like that and, and, and uh, you know, winners that are very tough and, and not the majority of points that are won in the sport. So should we almost discard like hitting to the corners and just basically have the mindset of, let me just master depth. You know, it can be in the middle and, and just forget about, you know, you know, angled shots or what's, what's your uh, take on well, that? In, in another presentation, um, you know, I get very much into the baseline. I cut the, I cut up into ABCD. Um, so, you know, if you have the juice court at the baseline, just put a line right down the middle of, of the, of the, um, the juice half of the court, and the outer half is A, the inner half is B, the inner half of the ad court is C, and the outer half is D. So uh, what I want you to do is, is understand that there are four very different zones on the court um, and, and different things happen there. So, for example, most, you know, most players are righty to righty, and most balls in tennis go C to C, which is a slight kick through the ad court. I'm trying to get it away from my opponent's more dominant forehand. I'm trying to get it to my opponent's backhand. But if I go to D wider, the single sideline's there and I'm going to miss too much. So most of the traffic goes to C. Position D is about, you know, it's, it's almost the assist area. You know, you, 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 it's almost like getting somebody a little bit further in trouble, um, getting them off the court, making them hit a backhand. Um, yeah, a few winners out there, but it's like I, I'm, I'm climbing the ladder you know, through position D. Position A is where most winners are hit. So most forehand winners are hit to A, most backhand winners are hit to A. So we rally to C and D and push and finish this other way. And then position B, 
is actually a wonderful place to play if you get the ball deep because the natural angle is is coming back to B, which opponents don't want to do. So if you had a good ball to B and with, with its depth and they've got to try and, you know, do something that they don't want to come back to your forehand, they'll miss a million balls. So a lot of times when I'm playing points, I am absolutely playing a right-handed player. I'm absolutely targeting position B with depth and spin. Um, and I know that I'm going to get a lot of errors out of that zone. So it's kind of like a, a black hole over there that, you know, if you hit a quality ball into there, it just, it, it just like, what happened? You know, you, you would think hitting to the middle of the court to somebody's forehand is a bad thing, but it's actually an amazing thing. So I would encourage you to think more about the ABCD areas and, and, and what they what they're typically used for. Brilliant. Thanks, Craig. And, uh, you know, I, it's clear that we really need to focus on these first four shots. Uh, and, you know, thank you so much for, for this amazing presentation. So I obviously want to educate. I uh, Thanks, Craig. And I obviously want to just educate people about where they can learn more about you. And obviously all the links are below the video. So please check them out uh, of all of Craig's work, but uh, Craig, where can people find out more about your stuff? And if there's any, you know, projects or courses or anything, please let us know. Yeah. Uh, my website is braingametennis.com. There are 11 courses on there. Some um, are all about net play. We've got singles. We've got singles courses, doubles courses, and also uh, two courses on the mental and emotional aspects of our sport, which are a, a very big deal. So, um, you know, there's also a blog that I have on there with a, a ton of uh, free information. I write for the ATP and I write for the New York Times. So I'm linking a lot of that back there. So if you want to... Uh, Go to the website and follow um, follow what I'm doing there. You're going to get a lot of uh, a lot of information about the strategy of our sport. Wonderful, Craig. And I mean, I, I've been to a webinar that you uh, you know had hosted, and I uh, just had pages on pawn pages of notes. So I highly encourage everybody to check out uh, Brain Game Tennis uh, for sure. So, uh, Craig, again, thanks a lot for uh, for being on, and uh, it was really it was a pleasure, and I, I really appreciate all the great things you're doing for the sport. My pleasure and uh, all the best to the players out there. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. All right. I really hope you enjoyed this masterclass with Craig O'Shaughnessy on the first four shots. Uh, Really, really illuminating stuff. Amazing stuff. And I really enjoyed it myself and I'm going to listen to it again and again. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. And if you did enjoy this episode, I'd really, really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast. Just hit that big juicy subscribe button in your favorite podcast app of choice. And I also want to leave you with a quote from Oprah Winfrey. And Oprah said, step out of the history that is holding you back. Step into the new story you are willing to create. And that's a very pertinent quote for a lot of us where we kind of uh, hearken back to... uh, perhaps past failures in tennis, or we characterize ourselves as not being, you know, a a good player, not being clutch in the big moments, things like that. And we just have to uh, create a new story for ourselves and work at it every day and change our psychology and mentalities. And that's really the way that is going to lead us to bigger and better things in our tennis career and in life. So I hope you enjoyed that quote. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And that's pretty much it. So, um, yeah, I hope you have a great time on the court. Just keep enjoying the game, keep improving just a little bit every day and you'll see some huge gains over time. So I will be seeing you on the next episode of the Tennis Falls podcast. This is Mayor Bonnerachad and I'm going to sign out.
Take care. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.